It's Communion Sunday, and we thought we would involve you and engage you in a different way today. Communion is very important, not only to remember, but to know. Today, we want you to know better than you've ever known before. And to do that, Jonathan and I are going to team up, and we're going to talk about two men. Two men that at first glance have nothing in common, nothing at all. And yet upon deeper reflection, have everything in common. Two men who are not unlike you and not unlike me. So here's how it'll work. I'm going to talk about Peter and his part in this story. And then Jonathan is going to talk about Judith and his. So as we begin, let's go back to the very beginning. Who was Peter? We're introduced to Peter in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus invites him to become a disciple. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Now, I love the simplicity of Christ's invitation. Do you ever notice that? Jesus was so unlike his counterparts, the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees overcomplicated everything. Jesus, not so much. Come, follow me. And when he said that to Peter, Peter knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, leave behind some of your comfort, some of your security. Let me be your guide. Come, follow me as a disciple. One of the interesting things about Peter is Peter walked on water. There are only two men in the history of humankind to ever walk on water, and Peter was one of them. If you know the story, Jesus had fed 5,000 people, and he sent the disciples ahead of him in a boat across the water. Jesus would meet him later on, he said. But in the middle of the night, as the waves were pounding that little boat, the disciples spot a man walking on the water toward them. We pick up the story in Matthew 14, verse 28. Lord, Peter said, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. In other words, if it's you, I trust you. I wouldn't do this for just anyone, but if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. There again, another very simple invitation. Hard to misunderstand. Follow me and come. Then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You know what this tells me about Peter? Peter was impulsive. Now, I like impulsive people. Peter was the first to volunteer, the first to step up, the first to take a stand. But impulsive people, because they live by impulse, are also prone to doubt. We're up one day, but we're down the next. You see both in the example I just gave you. Peter is the only one to volunteer. I'll step out onto the water. He's up. But when the circumstances began to change, Peter began to doubt. Aren't you like that? I'm just like that. I know what I believe about God, but when my circumstances begin to change, I begin to doubt. 
One of the most remarkable things about this whole story is that Peter was the first to speak up and the first to put his foot in his mouth. He was the first to volunteer and the first to fail. He was the first to promise and the first to break that promise. You see, that's one of the reasons at this church on Sundays, we want to make sure you learn something. We want to teach you something. We don't want to simply make you feel something. Impulsive people who rely upon what they feel for faith don't get very far in this life. But people who know do. So two men, Peter, a hero, Judas, a traitor. Peter was blessed of God. Judas was cursed. Every time Peter's name is mentioned in the list of the disciples, he's first because he was the leader. Every time Judas's name is listed, there's a little negative caveat that goes along with it. So what could these men possibly have in common? They both betrayed Jesus. So Judas was another one of the 12, uh, the 12 closest followers of Jesus Christ. And these men, they're highly regarded men, as Mike pointed out, Peter being the rock. Uh, he's a highly regarded follower of Jesus Christ. You have James, you have John, and then you have Judas. Even the name Judas, you think of that and it, and it has negative thoughts, right? It has negative feelings, just saying that name. Uh, there would have been a lot of little Judases running around during that time, though. It was a common name. Uh, it came from the Hebrew name Judah, which means God be praised, praised one. But when you hear the name Judas now, you probably don't think of that. Uh, you think of what? You think betrayer. Maybe you think uh, backstab. It's always negative ideas when it comes to the name Judas. And unlike Peter as well, we don't have a lot of information about who Judas was. Uh, we have a little bit of, of just connotations when they mention his name. We have one story in John 12 we'll, we'll read in just a second. But for the most part, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospel writers, they, they pretty much ignore this guy named Judas. And when they mention him, it's, as Mike said, it's the one who betrayed him. It is the betrayer. It's always a negative thing. And so look at John chapter 12. Here's the one thing that we have that is beyond this betrayal, beyond the crucifixion story. Verse 3 in John 12, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, here it is, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. And that seems like a, a good thing to say, right? It seems like an honest thing to say, an objective thing to say. But here in verse 6, John clarifies, you see, Judas's intention. Uh, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to, keep, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so we learned that Judas's job was literally to carry the money bag for the disciples it's one of the more mentions we have of Judas that is beyond just he's one of the disciples or here's his betrayal. Uh, he was the accountant, you'd say, maybe for the disciples. And, and as I take a step back, I think, you know, there had to have been a few good stories about Judas, right? A few good things maybe happened throughout those three years. Maybe he did some good things. Maybe he did a lot of good things. But when we come to it and when the Gospels started to be written and, and they penned these letters, everything that people thought about Judas was negative. He was a betrayer. He was a traitor. He, he backstabbed. He was a thief. It's because almost this, this lasting thing that he did at the end of his life, it defined his entire life after that. You see, these stories that, that seem maybe so different, legacies that seem so different between Peter and Judas 
we'll see in reality that they actually kind of run right along with each other. You see, Judas and Peter, they were both disciples, as we said. They both spent three years with Jesus. They ate the same things. They stayed in the same places. They experienced the same things. They heard the same teachings. They witnessed the same miracles. And at the end, near the crucifixion, they actually both betray Jesus. And before this betrayal happens for both men, you'll see that Jesus confronts both of these men because he knows their heart. And that's what's remarkable to me. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew that both Peter and Judas would betray him. In fact, he foretold each individually. The text comes from Matthew 26, verse 31. On the night Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he foretold Peter's betrayal. They're sitting around the table. It's the Last Supper. And Jesus told them, this very night, you will fall away on, my, on account of me. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, you probably know this part of the story. Three denials on the night of Christ's arrest. What I want to point out to you was how Jesus knew Peter would betray him. Now, you say that's easy. He was omniscient. Jesus knows everything. Wait, we can back up a few chapters in Matthew's biography, Matthew's gospel, and see that Peter actually tips his hand. In Matthew chapter 16, the scene is this. Jesus is probably standing around a fire with his disciples. He asks them, who do people say I am? And they have their ideas, but it's only Peter who steps up and gets it right. In Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter spoke up. I say you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I say you are the Christ. What does that indicate? That indicates that Peter knew who Jesus was. Furthermore, Peter knew what he believed about Jesus. I know what I believe about Jesus. Do you? But the problem was what Peter didn't understand was that Messiah was to be executed. Messiah would be crucified. So in the following verses, when Jesus explains this, Peter objects. In verse 21, we read, Peter took him aside, that's Jesus, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What does that tell us? That tell us that Peter tells us that Peter knew what he believed about Jesus, but he didn't understand. That is why Jesus knew that ultimately, may not happen today, may not happen tomorrow, may not happen the next week, but ultimately Peter would betray him. Again, most of us, just like Peter, know what we believe about Jesus, but what happens when circumstances change? What happens when the concerns rooted in me overpower the concerns of God. Jesus said, your problem is you have your concerns on your mind, not mine. Listen, that is the challenge of discipleship, to live not with my concerns, but his on my mind. Remember, the night that Jesus went to the garden to pray, he kept Peter, James, and John. He took them with him. He said, wait here and pray for me. I'm going to go a little farther in. What happened when he returned? They were asleep, weren't they? Why? Because they were tired. Why? 
Because they were fatigued. Why? Because they had problems. Why? Because it had been a long week. Why? Because they had their concerns on their minds and not his. I got to be honest with you. I'm only human. So are you. I have concerns on my mind. And more often than not, they're mine and not his. And that is how Jesus knew that Peter would betray him. Uh, Jesus knew about Judas as well. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 24 through 25, this is the last supper scene. And you can imagine the disciples all gathered around the table and Jesus is speaking and he says, the son of man will go as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, you see that little mark again, says, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. And Jesus answered, you have said so. And so I picture Jesus maybe staring at Judas when he's saying this. I don't know what, how guilty he is feeling at this moment to say that. And that is, it's not me, Jesus. He says, yeah, you have said it so. See, Jesus knew Judas's heart. He knew the intention. He knew the betrayal uh, was about to happen. And so again, both stories, you see them lining up together. Or Jesus knew both Peter and Judas would betray him. You see, Jesus knows our hearts as well. Uh, he knows that we will misstep. He knows that we... Uh, will fail. He knows that eventually at times we will betray him. You know, we all fall short and it's, it's, it's I, I like to think of it, you know, we're not robots, are we? We're, we're not like these puppets where, where God is directing us in every move that, that we have. Uh, we have free will. We have freedom to choose what we want to do and we can follow our will or we can follow God's will. Uh, we are called also children of God. Uh, and I like that image, especially now as a dad, because I, I watched my almost 15 month old daughter and I can see how she's struggling between uh, mom and dad's will and her will, even as a 15-month-old. You can, and, and I know her hearts. Right? I, can, I can see it before it happens where she's about to go into the pantry that she's not supposed to be in, or she's about to get into the dog bowl that she's not supposed to get in and eat the dog's food. And, and so th we have these challenges, and it's, it's little challenges compared to our lives, but we have these challenges to where she's wrestling between her will and mama and dad's will. And you see, I, I kind of know it before it's going to happen. You see, like that, we are children of God. God knows our hearts. He knows our missteps. He knows our failures. Uh, he knows that eventually at times we will betray him as well. And as these stories, you'll see, it, it's kind of a downers where as you see all these betrayals happening. But the beauty behind these stories is that although God knows this in our hearts and God knows the betrayals will happen, there is grace and there is love shown for us. And so we want you to see now how these betrayals actually happen. So how does Peter's betrayal look? We all know how Judas's betrayal looks. What did Peter do? You probably know this part of the story as well. It comes just hours after Jesus has been arrested in the garden. The disciples have scattered just like Jesus said they would. And just hours before he would ultimately be, be crucified... Matthew 26 reads, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him. She said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all. There's denial number one. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to him, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again. He denied it this time with an oath. I don't know this man. After a while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them, your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. 
what happened? The rock has crumbled. This mighty leader of men, first among the disciples, has folded. In the pressure, in light of a new circumstance, the one we could count on has failed us. This could have been his moment when you think about it. In Luke 22, Luke reveals that when Judas leads the temple guard to take Jesus, Peter is the only one to draw his sword and defend him. But instead of it being his moment, instead of his, his day in the spotlight, three times he denies that he even knew him. Peter betrayed Jesus. You'll see in a moment, Judas will too. I want you to ask yourself, how often do I? So before the last supper scene is when this betrayal gets set in motion for Judas. Uh, Matthew 26, uh, verses 14 through 16. Uh, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver and from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand, and o- hand him over. And so forever the reason is at this point, um, Judas decides his heart turns away from Christ. And he decides to turn him over. And they agree upon 30 pieces of silver, which I read in some commentaries, is, is about a month's worth of wage back then. And so you think about that. You think about maybe a monthly paycheck for you. Maybe if you bi-weekly, it's two paychecks. It's not an insignificant amount of money. But to betray someone you love, it's, it's not very much. And so look what happens then after the Last Supper into the garden uh, and later on in this chapter in verse 47. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And kissed him. You know, and as kind of a modern reader, I, you see a kiss as being such a heart-wrenching way to betray somebody. It would have been a common greeting back then, but, it, but it's hard to see Judas doing that to Jesus. And so again, the stories align, don't they? Again, the stories align to where Peter and Judas now are both betraying Jesus. Judas's betrayal stands out. It stands out as the one that, that, that leads to the crucifixion Whilst Peter seems a little bit more personal, maybe not as extreme, but I'll tell you, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of Christ, it was both a betrayal. Both of these men sinned in this moment. And I think after, after three years of spending time with Jesus, again, witnessing the miracles firsthand, hearing the teachings, what drove these men to betrayals? What caused them to crumble when their faith could have stood up? And while it's easy maybe as, as someone thousands of years later to point fingers at these men, maybe I would have done the same thing. No, maybe you would have done the same thing. I mean, how often do we maybe betray Jesus because of money? How often do we maybe betray him because of our own self-security, our own self-interests, like what Peter did? See, maybe we would have done the same thing. And if you've experienced that in your life, if you experienced betrayals, that you feel like you've betrayed God in some way, you know that you usually feel remorse. There's regret, there's sadness that happens. Uh, You'll see this in the stories of Peter and Judas as well. That's what I was going to ask you. How do you feel when you fail God? 
How do you feel when you betray your father? Peter, according to the scripture, felt remorse. Picking up where I left off from Matthew chapter 26, verse 74 reads, after the three denials, immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered his own, the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Watch this last part. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I'm glad the word bitterly, the adverb, accompanies the action. The word means it's a deep, guttural weeping. Now, from what I understand about Peter, Peter was a man's man. See, this was a hardened fisherman. This was a man who knew an honest day's hard work to support his family. Now, don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with a man showing emotion, nothing wrong with a man crying. But I can promise you this, Peter was not one of those overly sensitive, quickly given to tears kind of guys, okay? And yet, he feels such remorse that he went outside and he wept bitterly. You know what that points to? That points to his brokenness over his sin. Peter was broken over his betrayal. Look, church, let me ask you something. Do you understand that we'll never walk with God the way we could? We'll never know him the way we might. We'll never experience God at work in our lives until we know brokenness for our sin. Peter knew it. The question is, did Judas... Judas also uh, felt remorse. In Matthew chapter 27, uh, verses 3 and 4, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So maybe Judas now recognizes Jesus for finally who he is. Uh, maybe he sees. Maybe he didn't think that Judas or that Jesus would actually be condemned to death. We don't know the entire story, but Judas feels remorse. Uh, the, the word here, the Greek word, is metamelomai, which is actually the sense of a change of mind. And I point that out because it's not the full sense of repentance. It's not this full idea that Judas is now turned and is going back towards God. It's a sense that he's changed his mind, that he is sad, that he regrets, that there is remorse, but there's not quite a turn towards God yet. And then the next part we'll read in just a few minutes, we'll see that in verse 5. But up until this point, these stories, again, are running along in the same way. You have Jesus' prediction of the betrayals. You have the betrayals themselves. You have the remorse that happens in the end. And it's at this point that I believe is, it's the turning point of the stories. It's the point where what does now Peter do with this remorse? What does Judas now do with this remorse? Are they going to run towards the empty tomb of grace or are they going to run from it? It's at this point where the stories divide. And you'll see that for three years, these men, they heard Jesus, right? They heard forgiveness. They heard grace. They heard 70 times seven. They heard the lost sheep. They heard the lost son. They heard all of these stories. They had to have sensed that maybe Jesus will take me back. One runs towards the empty tomb. One does not. Two men, remarkably similar narratives. They both hung out with Jesus for three years. Jesus knew both men would betray him. He foretold the betrayal. Both men go ahead and act on it. Both feel remorse. And as Jonathan said, here's where the stories separate. How did Peter respond following his betrayal? We talked about this last week. It comes from John chapter 21. 
Peter is at a particularly low point in his life. He's betrayed, denied Jesus three times. Jesus, as far as he knows, is dead. So there's been some talk of resurrection. He's seen and knows there's something going on. But in John 21, Jesus sits down and has a personal conversation with Peter. He says, very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Someone else is going to dress you. Someone else is going to lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to Peter, don't, don't miss this. It's exactly where we began in Matthew 4. Follow me. Follow me. Peter responded following his betrayal, his remorse and brokenness, by seizing or taking the grace that was being offered. It's interesting when you read that text. Jesus said, when you were young, Peter, you were sure of yourself. You could stand on your own. You were young and strong and sharp. But as you get older, eventually someone's going to lead you around. Eventually someone's going to have to help you get dressed in the morning. As you age, you're going to recognize that you're not everything you'd hoped to be. Maybe as you age, you're going to recognize that you need my grace. Maybe as you age, you're going to recognize that you need my forgiveness. And thankfully, Peter took it. At a particularly low point in his life, knowing he had failed, being the first to promise he wouldn't, the first to step up, knowing he had been a poor disciple, Jesus offered him grace, and Peter took it. And I'll show you one more piece of a verse. In the very first verse of Peter's first epistle, there are two in the back of your New Testament. Peter introduces himself as the author like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle was a disciple who was personally commissioned by the resurrected Christ. And Peter was one of them. Peter took the grace. Uh, Judas' story, as you might know, does not have the happy ending. That Peter's story does. Uh, Matthew 27, verse 5, we'll quickly finish his story. So Judas threw the money into the temple, and he left. And then he went away, and he hanged himself. It's quite a different story at the end. A story that runs so parallel, it gets to divide so differently by the end of this story. You see, Acts tells a little bit of a different story. I'll just kind of mention this of Judas's death, that some of you might know that. Um, I won't go into all the details of why that is, but I, I want to point out that both of those uh, stories about his death, they both point to the same truth, which is the truth that Judas did not run towards the grace. He didn't go back towards the grace. He went away from it. Uh, the stories that seem so similar divide at the end. So we have the same opportunity. Before we remember the broken body and the shed blood, let me ask you something. Have you taken the grace? It's really as simple as that. Because before you leave here today, based upon these two men, Peter and Judas, not unlike me, not unlike you, Remember these three things. First of all, anyone can follow. Anyone. Anyone at all. Secondly, every one of us will betray him. But thankfully, number three, each one can be forgiven. So that's what we celebrate. Here's how this is going to work. In a moment, we'll sing a song. And when we sing, when you're ready, you don't have to go immediately, but when you're ready, you go ahead and move to the station nearest you, and there are multiple stations across the back of the auditorium, a couple here in the front. Take the piece of bread, take the cup, return to your seat and have a seat. I want you to sit down, and I want you to reflect on the words of this next song. And at 
a given time, I will lead us as we take together. Would you stand with us and let's sing? God bless you.